Hi, this is Yitz Greenberg, and I'm happy to read to you my Dvar Torah for this week's Parsha Vayetze. The title is The Journey to Maturation in the Covenant. In our Parsha, Jacob sets out on a journey to his uncle Lavan's house in Haran. Ostensibly, the trip is a flight to safety and finding a wife. It is actually a journey of growth from Jacob into Israel. His wandering is the first stage of his people's path from local family or tribe to a pace setter on the world's road to redemption. On the way, the Torah tells us Jacob had a dream vision of angels and receives a heartening message. God promises to fulfill the covenantal commitment by blessing him and bringing him home. Upon arising, Jacob promises that if God sustains him and enables him to return home safely, then he will be faithful to the covenant. He also pledges that whatever wealth he accumulates, he will tithe to God. See Genesis 28 verses 12 to 22. The Torah clearly tells us of this pledge to praise Jacob's sense of gratitude, modeling for us giving back to God from whatever we possess. But in so doing, the Torah reminds us that in this biblical first stage of the covenant between us and God, membership had a significant transactional dimension. God blesses, protects, and rewards those who uphold the covenant. Quote, God blessed Abraham in all things, close quote, that's Genesis 24.1. And as Abraham's servant stresses to love and later, this includes, quote, flocks and herds, silver and gold, manservants and maidservants, and camels and donkeys. See Genesis 24.35. This reward and punishment psychology is not limited to Genesis. The Torah repeats often that the rewards go to all faithful members of the covenant. In Deuteronomy, Moses tells the people they are to, quote, keep the commandments, walk in God's ways, and revere God. That's Deuteronomy 8.6. In return, God will bring them to a good land, a land of water sources, of wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, in which you will eat bread without scarcity. And that's right in the same chapter, verses 7 through 9. In parallel, there will be severe punishments if Israel betrays the covenant and does not listen to God. See chapter 8, verses 19, 20. Even catastrophic punishments are threatened. See Deuteronomy 28, 15. In one of the most repeated passages of all, Recited daily in the second paragraph of the Shema, the Torah says that, quote, If you listen diligently to my commandments, I, God, will give you the rain of the land in its due season. That's 11 verse 13. But if Israel betrays the covenant and serves other gods, then God will, quote, shut up the heavens and there will be no rain. That's in 11.17. Maimonides saw the meaning of this pattern of rewards and punishments. The people were not yet of mature religious consciousness. They were moved to join and keep the covenant faithfulness by external rewards and punishments. Maimonides compares that 
to when children first start learning Torah. They're given honey to lick and candies and treats to make the words of Torah sweet to them. When they grow up, he stresses, they will not need such treats, but will appreciate Torah learning for its own sake. See his commentary on the Mishnah, Sanhedrin, beginning of Perak Chelek. Now we tend to glorify the earlier generations as more religious and devout. If you look at the Wikipedia, you'll see in the Hebrew the Yiridat Hadorot, the so-called deterioration of the generations, and also see the Talmud Shabbat 102b. The Bible's portrait of the Israelites shows, however, their immature behavior in the desert. When the Israelites liked water, instead of digging for it, they sat around and blamed Moses, Exodus 15:22-26. When they lacked food, instead of foraging for it, they complained, blamed Moses, and said that they missed the good old days of slavery, mind you, in Egypt when they ate their fill. Exodus 16, verses 2 to 4. Later in the land of Israel, the Bible shows them shifting back and forth between keeping the covenant and serving idolatrous cults. All this suggests that the people of Israel were more like children and beginners in the process of religious development. Now, although the rabbis hold the Torah and the earlier generations at the highest level of sanctity and authority, they also saw the covenant as an educational tool designed to connect the Jews where they were and grow them to a higher level of religious living. I believe that the rabbis affirm in their time God had further self-limited to call the Jews to a higher level of service. The people had more deeply internalized religious values. As a result, they were capable of taking on more authority in the covenant as well as greater responsibility for realizing it in this world. I argue this case at some length in my book, The Triumph of Life, which is forthcoming. So this new level was possible because after a millennium of living the covenant, the people of Israel had matured and could participate out of a higher level of identification with the Brit. As part of the maturation, the rabbis tried to move the Jews from observing for the sake of reward and punishment to covenantal commitment for its own sake. The rabbis approached the shift from two angles. One, they suggested we cannot discern a pattern of reward for observing commandments. While acknowledging the tradition that individual good deeds are rewarded, or at least when a person has a surplus of good deeds over bad deeds, that they are rewarded. See the Mishnah Kedushin, chapter 1, 10th Mishnah. The Babylonian Talmud deconstructs the idea in favor of Rabbi Yaakov, who simply states, there is no reward for doing a mitzvah in this world, close quote. See Kedushin 39b. The truth is that the Gemara softens the blow by suggesting that in the next world there will be a reward for each mitzvah performed. Rabbi Yaakov means by his words that there is no discernible, consistent pattern that those who fulfill the commandments do better in this life than those who do not observe them. Secondly, the Talmud teaches that, quote, olam kminhago noheik, meaning the world follows its objective natural course. Natural processes neither reward good behavior 
nor punish bad behavior. In Pirkei Avot, the classic book of rabbinic ethics and wisdom, if, I'm, if you want to get more detail on this, see Sage Advice, Pirkei Avot, with a translation and commentary by Irving Itz Greenberg, Koran Publishers, particularly pages 515 to 36 in the uh, preface. The rabbis tried to educate to this higher religious motivation. Antigonus of Soho would say, Do not be like servants who serve the master for the sake of receiving a payment. Rather, be like servants who serve the master selflessly, not for the sake of payment. See Ethics of the Fathers Perkyavo, Chapter 1, Mishnah 3. The rabbis did offer the consolation prize that there would be reward for all mitzvot in the world to come, to which one might say that moving the reward to another realm and a distant date in itself discounts, as it were, the centrality and effect of the rewards. Yet Rabbi Yaakov tops even this religious reset by asserting, quote, one hour of repentance and good deeds, i.e. moral existence, is better than all the life of the world to come, meaning all the soul-spirit life of the world to come. See Ethics of the Fathers, Chapter 4, Mission 17. Rabbi Yaakov here, too, somewhat offsets the impact of this statement by saying, but one hour of tranquil bliss in the world to come is better than all the physical life and pleasures in this world. See the Mishnah. Now, if divine reward and punishment is not to be the driving force of covenant living, then what can motivate the people to live such a life? The rabbi's answer is, people will commit out of knowledge and understanding of the Torah and its commandments, out of internalizing the visions and the value of the covenant and out of love of God. So the rabbis established the mitzvah of Talmud Torah as the central religious activity. Daily Torah study leads to understanding of the rationale for commandments and to appreciation for the values. The stories and role models in the tradition further influence people and lead them to deep commitments. The rabbis also generated countless rituals and blessings that gave content and meaning to daily life and implanted loyalty to the covenant. The rabbis also developed the concept of Torah lishma, studying and observing Torah for its own sake, i.e. neither for human nor divine rewards, as the superior form of religious living. At one point, the Talmud even warns that, quote, one who studies Torah not for its own sake turns his Torah into poison. See the quote in Makot 7a. I would suggest that this learning and internalization process explains the superior faithfulness shown by the Jews in exile during the rabbinic period. In the face of great persecution, suffering, and exclusion, Jewry clung to God and Torah at the highest level. This steadfast loyalty was shown more than in the biblical period, when external reward and punishments were the driving force. So this brings us to the paradox of covenantal religious commitment in the modern 
and postmodern period. There is a general impression that religion has declined and the quality of commitment has been eroded. Many point to the cause that modern civilization offers so many rewards and pleasures in this life as to take away the power of the promised reward in the afterlife. Furthermore, as science and medicine have developed greater capacities, statistical analyses have whittled away at claims of special religious miracles. In fact, I believe that the drop-off in formal religious affiliation reflects the people who kept the faith out of external rewards and punishments, and they were switching now to alternate systems that, as it were, pay off for them. However, many that come to religion today are acting at a higher level, moved by a more idealistic motivation. Nine decades ago, Dietrich Bonhoeffer pointed out that a great religious upgrading was taking place. Let me take a moment and remind you who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was. He was a German Protestant theologian who joined the anti-Nazi underground. After an unsuccessful attempt to assassinate Hitler, he and his associates were arrested, and later he was executed. In his final months in jail, he came to a new understanding of Judaism, that it was not a superseded religion, as traditional Protestants took it, but a vital one, and of the powerful witness of the Hebrew prophets and their insistence on social justice and on relating to God by concern and care for fellow humans. Bonhoeffer predicted that an empowered humanity would turn to God out of its capacity, out of a desire for a relationship instead of the traditional seeking God because we cannot help ourselves. He predicted the emergence of a more hidden religious community, turning to God not for reward or to explain the unknown, but walking with God and working with God selflessly. So this is Bonhoeffer's thesis. As human capacities solve more and more problems, then the understanding of God shifted. In the past, people typically turned to God out of helplessness. God was invoked in order to solve the unsolvable or to account for the unknowable. Bonhoeffer predicted that humans will stop turning to God who is, quote, the God of the gaps, in our understanding of gaps, the God that is the divinity we seek out of our incapacity. Instead, we will turn to God out of our capacity and out of seeking partnership. See on all this Dietrich Bonhoeffer letters and papers from prison, New York, 1968, especially pages 139 to 209. So this development paves the way for Judaism's higher aspirations, turning to God out of love of God, out of drawing upon him, being sustained by the divine presence in every aspect of daily life. The numbers of the formerly religious may be down, but the quality of believers and a pure relationship and the numbers of those who act out of love of the covenantal method of tikkun olam and for the sake of universal human dignity and relationship is increasing. At least that's my thesis. I attribute this upgrade to the long-term positive educational effect of covenantal living on the human psyche. 
The conclusion is that rabbis and religious educators need to have the courage to offer more demanding religious living alternatives, heightened knowledge of God, a deeper human solidarity and community, and an enriched embrace of life through covenantal behaviors. This is the ideal religious model for our time. At some point, the drop-off of the reward seekers and the punishment fearers will stabilize. Then the dynamic core of committed, loving, covenantal partners will become the magnet around which the practitioners of the ideal Torah, a Torah of chesed, love, and kindness, will gather. Then a Jewish community, formed out of choice and inspiring values, will lead the way forward. This will be the continuation and culmination of the journey to life and unity with God, through which Jacob matured and became Israel. This is the growth to maturity which his descendants pursue to this day.